Hi guys, it's Josh Rubin with Douglas Elliman here in New York with our latest episode of the Rubin Special on Thursday, May 21st with my good friend, Peter Hernandez. Peter, how are you? Hey Josh, how are you? I just lost uh, volume, but I think uh, we'll be back. Yep, I, uh, I, actually, I actually did not take my own advice. And what I did is I did not hit the sleep button on my phone. So I apologize for that. But uh, Peter is back with us both on Instagram and Facebook. So uh, Peter, how's everything in California today? Well, you know what? It's, I'm just looking outside my window here. It's a beautiful day in California. It's sunny. It's, it's gorgeous. And uh, for all of you everywhere else around the country, I just want you to know that the California real estate market is actually amazingly robust. And Josh, you know I don't what? know how it is on the East Coast, but... Um, we are kind of blown away by the activity. It's just been amazing. You know, I'm not surprised to hear that. Actually, I've been predicting just that for most markets across the country due to this pent up demand. It's a combination of uh, incredible record breaking fiscal stimulus in terms of its size and the pace at which the Fed actually implemented the stimulus. So rates are crazy low, equities are high, and then we're seeing this uh, almost depressed level of inventory because most homeowners who are thinking about selling are saying, well, I don't want to step into this pandemic to sell my house because I'm going to get a lower price. By the time, of course, that the news breaks that people are getting these incredible outcomes on the sell side because of all this pent up demand and level of buyer interest, of course, things are going to level off and we're going to be headlong into the, into the election. But I do think that we're going to have an incredibly robust summer. Well, you know what? I mean, there, there truly is a lot of pent up demand, but then there's new demand being created because as people are living in their homes right now and we're all shelter in place for the most part, you know, we're discovering things we like and dislike about our homes. Right. And so many people are going, I got to get out of here and get something better. I have to have a home that meets these needs or those needs. And so things are like all over the place. And I, and I really believe that the home has increased in, in value beyond its intrinsic value, beyond its financial value. I mean, we're looking at functional value now in homes more than ever. And that goes back to what homes were originally. I mean, we didn't buy homes to get rich in the old days. We bought homes for security, raise families, to create lives. And I think we're kind of going back to that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. And people are looking at the practical side of things when they're in their homes for two, three or more months on these you know, forced lockdowns, they're looking around and saying, hey, you know, I really could use a larger living room or a larger yard or, you know, my kids want to go outside. I remember our first house we moved into thinking of it in terms of urban living, moving to the suburbs for the first time. And I saw this house as being perfectly suitable for our needs. Well, our kids started to grow. My son enrolled in Little League. We started to toss the ball around and I realized the yard wasn't quite large enough because the ball every other time would go to the neighbor's yard or go in the street. So I realized pretty quickly we needed a larger home. So you're right, in terms of practical day-to-day -day use, we're looking at things and saying, hey, you know, maybe this two bedroom on 21st and 5th uh, would be better as a three bedroom on 64th and 2nd. So people are moving neighborhoods, whether it be for school and proximity to campus, or uh, just in terms of, you know, too much space or too little space, there are all sorts of reasons. Well, that's 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 interesting you say that because we're finding people that like um, are living like in the west side, for example, of L.A. are looking at homes in Malibu, Newport Beach and some of the other areas, a second home that's within drivable distance, whether it's San Diego, maybe even Carmel, right? Our, our <clears throat> office up there is seeing some increased activity as well. So we're seeing 
uh, people looking at it like, you know, I need homes within driving distance. And that was one of my old partner's theories was if I can drive to it, I'm buying it, right? And so it kind of makes sense, right? And it gives you options within a reasonable distance and a reasonable time frame to, to really improve your life. And I see we're seeing a lot of that. So like maybe you have a house in Manhattan, an apartment in Manhattan, and maybe yep. you have something in the Hamptons or somewhere else, you know, just so you can go back and forth and enjoy both. Because I don't think, you know, but there's a lot of talk about, you know, is apartment living going to be, you know, challenged by this? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think people, you know, like my daughter, you know, she can't wait to get to New York. She's going to go to uh, school at Vassar, you know, in uh, Poughkeepsie. And her whole desire, she wants to drive every weekend and go to the city. And, and she loves Broadway. And, 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 and that's not going to change. But I do think people are going to want the second home, the other place they can go as well. Definitely. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, Peter, at the end of the day, there is, there is the bottom line. And the bottom line is that, you know, people are going to want to move to the suburbs. They're going to want to spend more time, uh, you know, in, in places where they can go outside and, you know, they can spend more time, uh, you know, in yards and, and larger space. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, it's so great to be on this call with you, Josh. You know, I'm such a big fan of yours. Um, I know we met like at a Tom Ferry event and- uh, I'll never forget, I'll never forget the moment we met, in fact. Yeah. It's, and it's like, it's like seared into my brain. And we did this amazing <laughs> mastermind that you were part of. And I'll never forget my, my hotel room was just packed with people that wanted to hear you. And, and we were all sweating because the air conditioning wasn't working and it was just <laughs> it was miserably hot. I don't remember, know if you remember that, but uh, it was. And uh, it was just really wonderful. I, were you doing it with Andy Stavros? And I think that's, was that who you were with or who were you paired up with? I can't remember. Uh, no, it wasn't Andy. Uh, Andy, of course, I, I know well and, uh, you know, have spent some time with. Um, but, you know, that was, that was a great mastermind. We were packed yeah. into this little suite. There were probably 30 or 40 people there. Uh, and it was pretty incredible. And we were talking about, you know, how I, how I, you know, do so much farming uh, and I've really built my business around that. Yeah. But, you know, more importantly, Peter, you know, you are really sort of a pillar of the California residential community. And, you know, Douglas Elliman is, is fortunate to have had, have you, you know, sort of lead us uh, through these challenging times. Um, and of course you, you know, you joined us as a, as a result of uh, Element acquiring TELUS which I know you founded with uh, Sharon Shravatsa, who's a great guy. Um, and, you know, you've continued to lead us. Um, so, you know, Peter, I'm curious, what kind of innovations do you see coming out of this as far as, you know, the California market is concerned? Well, you know, we were, we were talking about this um, with our agents um, on one of our uh, podcasts, as well as with the management team that, you know, we can't be looking backwards to how it was. We have to really, look at what we're doing now and figure out what we're going to take forward, you know, in terms of, you know, some of the new ways we're, you know, qualifying clients before showings, you know, how we're doing presentations virtually, whether it's a listing presentation or a buyer consultation, we're doing everything, you know, either by zoom or FaceTime now. And I think it's so important for everybody on this listening right now to think about the fact that you're not going to go back to the way it was any more than we're ever going to walk through an airport without going through security. It's just not going to happen. And so as yeah. you think about your business and as you think about implementing these new tools and technology, you know, how are you going to improve your craft? I mean, there's one thing I'm certain of, uh, Josh, is, is that traditional brokerage is here to stay. But 
Traditional brokers that aren't using technology, agents aren't using technology. They're not doing the virtual open houses. They're not doing, you know, the different things that we can do nowadays um, digitally are going to get left behind. And what's beautiful about COVID is that we're all being forced to learn how to use Instagram live, being forced to learn how to do, you know, calls like this on Zoom. We're being forced to, to do everything, uh, doing a, a listing presentation virtually. We're being forced to have buyer consultations and we're being forced to require a little bit more qualification of clients become before they visit homes. And I actually think that's a really good idea because we're not gonna be wasting a lot of time with looky loose that way. And we're gonna be actually knowing that people have been out there looking and seeing homes and that this is something that they really wanna look at that they could buy. So things like that, I think are the big difference. And uh, you know what I mean? And if I would say anything to anybody is, is adapt. Be open to change. Quit looking backwards. Forget it. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and and a lot of people are doing it, you know, like like maybe I am and you are, where we're just like, yeah, this is cool. Let's do this. But other right. people are like commiserating and kicking stones and they've just got to stop doing it. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, people are, you know, living in the past. There are some people who are uh, you know, ghosting themselves. In other words, they're not they're not reaching out to people. They're not being proactive about communicating with their clients about what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they're reading. Uh, and you know, the truth of the matter is that it's very easy for all of us to be sort of stuck in this quagmire of of what the media wants us to believe, which is far from reality. And you know, as you pointed out, you know, there there are homes that are coming on the market. There are homes that are going at and above the asking price. You know, James Weekly just uh, experienced something where it had a house had 17 offers, and this is just within the last week or two. So, you know, the activity that is going on out there is incredible. And, you know, we're, we're looking at tools like 3D virtual tours with Matterport. And of course, Rico developed a, an affordable camera, which a lot of our colleagues are, are getting themselves. It's a you know, $995. You can go and put it on a tripod and do a, a 3D tour yourself. Um, you know, we're seeing very high quality virtual tours come out that our clients are absolutely loving through Matterport. Uh, you know, of course, Matterport has their own local vendors that have been trained on their platforms, which is great. Uh, and then, you know, you have these videos which, which are fantastic. So it's making for a, a much more efficient process. As you pointed out, no more looky-loos. People know what they're walking into. They're not wasting their time. We're making sure that people have seen these tours and, and uh, you know, have actually qualified the home th themselves. So we can say to the seller, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, good news. The buyer has already seen the tour. They still want to see the home. They understand what the light is. They understand what the condition is. They know that, you know, it might need a, a new kitchen or they, they know that you just put in a kitchen and they were going to do the same thing. So there are a lot of uh, positives that are going to come out of this. You know, and, 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 and so much, you know, is going forward. You know, we're also like re re looking at things that worked in the past that are more important than ever, like picking up the phone. Like never before yeah. has picking up the phone had more importance. And you know what? We're, we're really, you know, talking about picking up the phone and, and not saying, hey, I'm a realtor. You know, do you have anybody, do you know anybody that wants to buy or sell or do you want to buy or sell? But really just checking in with people because this is a totally a relationship business, Josh, as you know. And, and, and that is why I think because agents have empathy, because agents can look around corners, because agents know what's going to happen in advance. They can internalize and, and analyze the data for everybody. You know what I mean? It's like... The more information our clients have, this the more confused they get in a way. And this is the this is the opportunity for the agent to step forward and to really show their value, to really show their value. And and, and a lot of it is 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 really listening, not selling, being there for your clients, and truly like um, I would say just checking in on them regularly to make sure they're okay. Because 
you know, it's so funny, um, Josh, but you know, you can call someone and say, Hey, Josh, how you doing? You know, God, how are you handling the, uh, the, 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 the COVID and the hunkering down and sheltering in place? And you're going to say to me something like, Oh man, you know, we're getting on each other's nerves, you know, where the place isn't big <laughs> enough, you know, and I don't have a yard, you know, like, like, look how we've discovered the importance of like having outdoor space and things, you know I mean? So, so, so everything is kind of being rediscovered right now. And if yeah. you're not reaching out and talking to your clients, you're making a huge mistake. Yeah. Well, you know, now that we actually have the time to do it, you know, we can actually reach out to people and say, Hey, I'm just thinking about you guys wanted to check in. That's all. And then the conversation kind of evolves on its own. And as long as we come from a place of empathy and we're not trying to just sell them the first thing that comes along, you know, good things will happen. And that's what I've been telling people. So 100%. you really gotta, you gotta be reaching out to people. So Peter, you know, one thing that a lot of, uh, that a lot of our listeners and viewers might not know is, you know, they, they know the name Peter Hernandez, but they don't know you know, the man behind the name, they know that you're the president of Douglas Elliman. They know that you were the founder of TELUS, but tell us a little bit about, you know, how you came to form TELUS. Okay. So, well, let me just give you like the quick, the quick tour of my career. So I, I, I got my license when I was 18 and I was the reluctant realtor. I wasn't the guy that wanted to get into real estate. I was, I was pre-law going to UCLA. I was going to be an attorney. I was an economics major. I had, I had a real interest in, in love of economics. I still do today. And I, um, I basically um, was in Europe. I was after I got out of college and I was before I was going to go to law school. And I was just I remember I, I went there with fifteen hundred bucks to see how long I could stay in Europe. And I stayed there for nine months and I took my skis and surfboard and I was traveling around. And I um, I was in a hotel. I was working in a hotel peeling potatoes, believe it or not, in, oh, San, really? Mar in San Moritz. And uh, huh. I took all kinds of side jobs like I picked grapes in Bordeaux. I, you know, I, I, I found little ways to work my way around Europe. And I while I was there, I was thinking to myself, you know, every lawyer I know wants to be in real estate. Every lawyer I know wants to invest. Every lawyer I know is like doing a job they don't like so they can get wealthy in real estate. So I said, why am I going to be a lawyer? And that's how I got into the business. So my dad was uh, had a company and I joined him. I started there. I went to the John Douglas company. I rose to the top in the agent world. And then I started managing for them. And then when they sold to John uh, Cobalt Banker, when John Douglas sold Cobalt Banker, you know, within two years, um, I was like really um, honored and privileged when they said, hey, we've never done this before, but we're going to promote you from a manager straight to president of the company. And I became president and chief operating officer of Cobalt Banker. And wow. I did that for five years, which was a an amazing, amazing uh, experience. But while I was there, I had an opportunity to go um, uh, look at a company that was going to be formed in Beverly Hills. And I went there with a with a couple of uh, of, of of people that that I eventually opened up um, Telus Properties with. And while I was there, we went and we listened to this person talk about a luxury brokerage they wanted to open up in L.A. And and when we left, we were walking down the hallway. Josh, and I looked at, at my uh, two future partners and I said, well, that was a stupid idea. What would we do if we opened a company? And that's how it began. And then we started having meetings every, uh, every uh, week in my, in my house at, and, and we actually launched Telus Properties. Now, what happened was my two partners that I originally opened with looked perfect on paper, but it was a complete disaster. No and that's, kidding. Yeah, and that's where Peter and Sharon came in because um, I was able, with Peter's help, to um, buy out those partners, and then we brought in Sharon. You know, who who the three of us we were like the Rolling Stones, and it was just super fun. <laughs> so you know, Peter, that's that's super interesting because I I didn't realize that you had these 
two other partners that turned out to be, you know, less than an optimal fit. Oh um, no, it, 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 it was the company that shouldn't have made it. Honest to God. It was like, I had one partner that was telling agents not to join. And I wow. had, an, I actually had another partner that was uh, trying to date all the lady uh, real estate agents. So it was, it was like, wow. pretty, ex pretty exciting times. And then right when all that's going on was the great recession. Right. Huh. But um, I so learned this a lot is going headlong 2007, 2008. Yeah, that, that's correct. And so wow. Peter, Peter was a big investor in the company with me. And, and so then he and I like, you know, like reformatted it and, and, and he knew Sharon from uh, his Goldman Sachs days and that's how it all came together. And then wow. we, as you know, we built it into, uh, you know, 650 agents, you know, 20 offices. We were doing, I think about 3 billion a year in, in sales. And we were, and we were really, really happy and content. And of course, you know, everybody talks to everybody and, Everybody wanted to merge with us or buy us or this or that. And we were turning down everybody until until Douglas Elliman came along. And when Elliman came along, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is the real deal. This is a real company. This is a company that's not only sophisticated and smart and luxurious, but but these guys know what they're doing. You know what I mean? And it was just it was obvious that it was a perfect match. And that's why we ended up um, selling to Douglas Elliman. Wow. So it was, you know, sort of a, uh, a lot of synchronicity there in terms of, you know, how you were able to, uh, you know, take Telus out of the like a phoenix rising, you know, from the ashes, if if you will, um, in that you had, um, you know, Sharon as your partner, sort of guiding you strategically, and you're able to sort of overcome these challenges that were really uh, instigated by by your partners. They were almost uh, you know, setting you up to fail. And then because you, you met Sharon, uh, then you were able to sort of take it and run with it. Uh, you're fortunate in, that you were able to kind of get, get rid of these original partners. And then Douglas Elliman came along, uh, just at the, at the right time. It was almost like divine. In, it was almost like divine intervention to be true, truthful about it. Um, but you know, um, you know, Peter and Sean were, were really great partners. And, uh, yeah. you know, we, we just had a, uh, I mean, we all, we all brought a lot to the table, you know, we, uh, um, it was really, it was really, really amazing. We were almost like, I, I sometimes I used to think of us like the uh, wizard of Oz, you know, the heart, the brains and the, uh, um, and the courage, right. In terms of, yeah. of the company, it was, it was truly amazing. And, you know, what was really great about that partnership was that we, we really brought out the best in each other, you know, and we challenged each other and, you know, like, and I, and I, and I would love them all so much, you know, and, and, and I learned so much from it, you know, and we were all collaborative. Like we all realized that, you know, nobody has all the good ideas and we were all, we were always like, you know, kind of like brainstorming with each other and things like that. And it was, it was, it was really, it was pretty magical. So Peter, you know, a, a couple of years ago before you met Howard, um, I was at a Douglas Elliman event and he and Hadi, he and, he and Dolly were, uh, at the podium speaking about their plans for future growth for the company. And they both said that they had seen, uh, a reoccurring pattern with referrals going back and forth between New York and, uh, LA. And so they thought it would be good to expand Douglas Elliman's presence into Los Angeles. And I said, oh, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I told Howard, you know, you, you got to do this. It's a, it's a natural fit. And so what did we do? We, you know, we went out and um, I was friends with some agents out in LA. One of them was actually in the city uh, visiting me. 
And, you know, he was just shadowing me for the day to see what my business was like and, and how I did what I, what I do. And, and um, I was sitting with him in a listing of mine. We were just chatting generally. And it clicked. I said, you got to meet Howard. And so I was able to uh, introduce him to Howard. Um, and I called, I, I called my manager right there on the spot. At this time, Howard and I knew of one another, but we didn't know each other well. And so I wound up calling my manager because I didn't even have Howard's number. And I said to Howard, uh, I said to Chris rather, Chris, I'm with an agent from LA and I want to introduce him to Howard. And, and Chris said, well, you can send him an email. I said, no, Chris. I said, he's leaving tomorrow. So I got to make the introduction today, right now. <laughs> and he's, so Chris said to me, all right, well, here's Howard Sell, but you didn't get it from me. I said, <laughs> I said, okay. So I called him up. I said, Howard, it's Josh Rubin. I, he said, oh, hey, Josh. And because again, he knew of me. And I told him the situation. He said, well, I'm in Florida right now, but I'll be back on Sunday. And if you want, you guys can come by my apartment and we can meet then. I said, okay, great. So I turned to the agent and, uh, and, and I said, well, here's the situation. Good news, bad news. The good news is Howard's willing to meet with us. The bad news is he's in Miami and he's not going to be back till Sunday. So can you push your flight back? He said, yeah, sure. So he pushed his flight back to Sunday afternoon and he went out and he bought a suit. And then I, uh, I went and met, you know, I, I drove over on Sunday morning and I introduced Howard to Corey Weiss. And then, oh, wow. and then Howard, uh, like Corey, and you know, met up with them and you know, talked to them about you know different ideas and how they could you know do something together. And then next thing you know, Element LA was created. And then of course, wow. you know, about know a year that. or so after that, uh, you know, Telus came to be, and then you know everything really took off. I did, I did, I didn't know that, Josh. Um, but that was like, I mean, the thing about. Element that's so different than the other big brokerages, whether a franchise or independent, is that you know we've opened in all markets where our clients have homes, right? I mean, it's not like we're trying to be in markets where our brand wouldn't fit. And I really like that about it because there's no like it's like it's like New York and California or the Hamptons in California or Aspen in California or Florida. California has there there's synergies there. There there's 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 business going back and forth. And I think in the first year. We did over five. I mean, this is just right after the the uh, the. I think we did like about five hundred million in referrals uh, wow. back and forth between the East Coast and um, and California. So it, it was like it, it took off from the very 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 start, and it was so smart because we're not trying to open in in markets where our clients don't op open homes. And I and I think that's where some of the other brands struggle because they can't get their 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 look and their their vibe and their and their message because you know like. If you're not in like for like type markets and, and, and like people in Manhattan love Malibu and people in Malibu love the Hamptons and people in the Hamptons love Newport Beach. And so there's this this there's this commonality and this feeling. And it's like our clients know us. We know them. And it, it just really works. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of synergy there, no doubt. So, you know, Howard and Dottie were right to do what they did in going to L.A. Uh, in the first place. So I think that uh, you know it's it's something that's worked very well, and I think it'll continue to grow together. Um, so Can I just say one thing about that. You know, I think what please. makes our company so great is 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 Dottie and and Howard. And the reason I say that is they're real estate people. I love I love that you know 
I think I think I heard a quote, and so please, if I'm wrong, don't 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 uh, crucify me. But I heard like Douglas Elliman is like maybe ten percent of of of, Ellen, of uh, Howard's worth. Okay, so it's like, and yet I hear he puts ninety percent of his time into it. You know what I mean? And I think that's because he's a real estate junkie. And, and I yeah. get that vibe from him. And I get that vibe from Dottie that they just love real estate. And I love real estate. I mean, I'm in my 50th year now of being in the business. <laughs> and I, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm more passionate about it than, you know, half the agents that are just coming in. And yeah. so, you know what I mean? So to me, it's like, if you've got that in your blood, that makes a great company. And that's why, I mean, that's personally why I love this company so much is because it's just real estate's in the blood of this company. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Howard is a, a fantastic leader. He's uh, he's dynamic and, uh, you know, he's able to innovate and, and pivot as needed. Um, so, you know, he's uh, a, a great leader and has tremendous resources and fantastic vision, frankly. And I, I think that these are all aspects that that make him the leader that he is. I agree. Um, and so, you know, with, P with, with Howard, you know, he's also a people person, right? If you see him in a social setting, he's just... You know, he, he just loves everybody and everybody loves him. He kind of radiates this this warmth and, uh, you know, he, he brings a passion to it as well. So I think that that kind of radiates throughout the company. It does. And he's got a great sense of humor. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when you first came into the business, you were 18 and an agent. So just starting out, you know, what was what was the world like for an 18 year old selling real estate? Well, in the, my first 10 years were pretty dismal, to be really honest. I was, uh, I struggled. I think I made 30,000 a year for, for, for 10 years in a row before I kind of hit bottom and said, you know, I got to do something different. My credit cards are out of control. I'm living in a little bachelor apartment on, in, on, uh, in an alley in Venice. I said, I mean, this has got to change. And I, and it was then that I had kind of my paradigm shift and I decided rather than focusing on my expenses and how much, you know, I owed every month is I wanted to set some really, really big goals. And that's what I did is I, I actually stepped back and I said, I'm going to set this humongous goal and I'm going to go for it. And I, and my real, my real shift in my thinking came when I made my like first hundred thousand and I owed like, I don't know, 20 or 30,000 in taxes. And my accountant said, you know, you got the money. And I said, no, I spent it. And he said, well, we're going to have to incorporate you because we're going to have to change your tax year so that you have time to make your money to pay your taxes. And, I, and so when I walked out of my accountant's office and I had this little brown box and it said the Peter Hannes Hernandez Corporation, for the first time, Josh, I realized I was a business and I wasn't an agent and it wasn't a transactional business. It was a pipeline business. And I had to figure out how to scale, grow and, and have a constant flow of business coming in so I would never run out of money again. And I know I had, the, I mean, that, it was so funny. I was on a call with Fred Wilson yesterday and we were talking about my why. And I thought my why lately has been about helping people and kind of being the bigger vision and, and giving back because I've had such a great career, Josh. And that's true. I mean, it does drive me. But you know what my real why is? Not ever wanting to be broke again. Seriously. And I think, and I think that, you know, when you, when you go up and then you go down and you experience that, it's horrible, right? Nobody wants to, nobody wants to go through that again. And so yeah. that's kind of drives me to this day to want to keep working. I mean, I, I hope I'm working in, you know, I, I would love to be working into my eighties. I hope that I still have the energy and I'm not the guy in the brown suit. That's a hundred years old walking around. Everybody says, it's time for you to hang up your gloves. I don't want to be that guy. But at the same <laughs> time, I just want to keep going. You know what I mean? And whether it's in fitness or nutrition or work or growing mentally or any of those things, I kind of keep wanting to be pushing to 10 X. 
and yeah. just keep and just keep hitting it on all levels. You know, that's interesting. You know, what you're describing is something that I've heard from a lot of our friends and colleagues in the business and what keeps them going and what is their why. And it's that, you know, they don't want to give up what they've gotten a taste of, which is success. That's and right. it's not just it's not just success, but it's also, you know, the the finer things, right? It is you know, it's the big house, it's the garage, it's the nice cars, the great trips, it's being able to buy beautiful gifts for your significant other um, and not, you know, be too concerned with, you know, how much things cost, being able to go out to dinner, just, you know, these basic things, which obviously right. as, a, as an individual agent, just starting out living in that, you know, bachelor apartment in, you know, in an alley in Venice and not having enough money to, to pay your taxes, let alone your day-to-day -day expenses and living a life of debt, you know, it, what was, what was the, what was this, that one um, sort of spark aside from realizing you didn't have enough money to pay for your taxes and going incorporated and realizing how you're going to sort of turn this corner in your business. What was the spark that, that really kind of helped you, you know, kind of elevate yourself? You know what really what really was the difference is when I changed my perspective of being a realtor. You know, like I remember I told you that I didn't want to be a realtor. I was the reluctant realtor, and uh, yeah. uh, it was truly because I just thought it was a, a you know a substandard class of work. And um, at that moment in time, I realized that, and boy, more so today than ever, when you see us on TV and you see, you know, I mean, I mean, real estate agents. If you're good, you're a rock star. You guys got to know that. And people look up to you, and people see you. And I mean, I, and, I, and I can give you some examples in a little bit. But but I but I, I realized it could be a profession. I realized it didn't. I mean, it was as good as a Wall Street banker. It was as good as uh, you know as a lawyer. It was as good as a doctor. But you had to you had to raise you know your level, your standard. You had to you had to play at that level for it to be that good. And that's when I you know I went out. I changed the way I dressed. I you know changed the way I. I mean, I got really skilled at what I was doing. I mean, I really just put a ton of effort into my business and created this, this, this business that really brought value to the community. And then it, and then it grew. And then I was doing tons of sales. And then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, you, you get it, Josh, you're walking around New York. People are saying, Hey, Josh, man, I heard you just sold uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, truly it's, I mean, you, you experience a level of attention because people are watching you. And I yeah. found that, and I found that once I, once I, put real estate on par with every other career and profession and business, you know, in our economy, that's when it changed. And I had pride in what I was doing and I felt good about it rather than why am I a realtor? That's interesting, you know, because, you know, you were, you were going through the motions in your career, but you weren't necessarily focusing on success. You were just trying to get through it one day at a time rather than looking at it as, as sort of a holistic career, like, okay, this is how my year is going to be. This is my goal and income for the year. These are the steps that I'm going to take to get there. And you really need to sort of break things down in order to attain your goals, don't you? And, and you know what else is really motivating and, and I think changed my perspective a lot was the, the realization that I could make as much money as I wanted. I mean, it was like I had no ceiling. I mean, it was purely my mental ability to think big was all that mattered in terms of how far I could go in this career, what I could do in this career and things like that. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a top agent. I wanted to be a top manager. I wanted to be a president of a company. I wanted to start my own company and I wanted to, you know, have this long career in real estate. And every one of those dreams has come true for me. You know what I mean? But I believed in it and I believed I could do it. And I believed there was nothing holding me back but myself. You know what I mean? And once you once you accept responsibility and you stop playing the victim and you stop playing the, you know, relying on other people, 
that's when the magic happens. And 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 I think Josh, you know that. I mean, no, I mean, I guarantee you have done everything on your own. You are one of those guys. I mean, and, and I know that. And I know that for everybody that's successful It doesn't even matter if you're the son of somebody or you're the heir to something. You know, you will not be successful in this business unless you just grab it by the horns and do it yourself. That's the only way it happens. No, that's that's right, Peter. You know, at, at the end of the day, we only have ourselves to both motivate us and hold us accountable and do what it takes to get what we want. And so no one else is going to do that for us, regardless of whether we have, you know, a, you know, a, a, a friend, relative, significant other, uh, you know, uh, spouse, um, parent in a position of power that helps give us, you know, opportunities. But if we don't take those opportunities and run with them and then figure out what is the force multiplier to them, then, you know, th those opportunities are going to be for naught. I always tell buyers and sellers, Peter, that, you know, while I understand that we have a great rapport and that you trust me and I'm guiding you through this transaction, if we only do one transaction together, I've effectively failed, right? We have a That's closing true. scheduled. We have a closing scheduled today, in fact, where I've done six six transactions with the same person. So that, to me, is a successful relationship. And it only takes. I mean, most agents have. I'm going to say between seven and twelve really good clients that really represent maybe 30, 40% of their business. And that was my experience and most top agents I talked to. And I think what we need to remember is, is, is a lot of the training in real estate right now is, is go door knock or send out a mailer, get a lead, make the sale, go get another lead. You know what I mean? And I would say to you, you know, why not door knock, get a lead, sell them an apartment, sell them a duplex, sell them a house in the suburbs, sell, you know what I mean? Think of these clients as multiple transactions rather than I got to go find a new client every time. And you know what, if you, if you do that, if you follow that formula, you're going to make your clients wealthy. And if you make your clients wealthy, they're going to refer you like crazy. And that's exactly that's right. what happened to me. I mean, go back to Peter Lowy. He probably bought, the reason he became a partner of mine tell us is because I'd sold him 35 properties or something. You know what I mean? I mean, it was oh, like, wow. Yeah, I mean, so he was a client of mine. It's an interesting story because he was a young lawyer coming to California to open up Fragment Del Rey Burnsville Lawyer, which is the largest immigration law firm in the world. And he was opening it up on the West Coast, right? And so he he bought a condo from me and we just became instant friends. And then, you know, we just created this lifetime relationship in real estate together. So, I mean, that's wow. how it happens. You, you get yeah. these, you get these, and you've had this, Josh, you get these opportunities, right? You meet somebody. And they just say, Josh, and they don't say this to you, but they take you under your wing, their wing, and then they help you become successful. And I, and I, and that's what happens. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. What you're describing is, is you know, starting a relationship, building that relationship, and you continue to build it. Not only are you selling the properties, but now they're, you know, personal friends and and subsequently business partners. So you're taking, you know, a small transaction and and turning it into a lifelong relationship with you know, myriad transactions. In okay. fact, in fact, when I first started in the business, Peter, I didn't have the right mindset. I didn't know what I was doing. And in fact, when the first client of mine showed up uh, from a bait and switch ad in the back of the New York Times, the receptionist at the front of the office called my desk and said, Josh, your client's here. I wanted to run out the back door. Fortunately, my office manager was there and said, Josh, what are you doing? You're perfect for this. Go get them. And I right. did, and I never looked back. And I just continued to build relationships one at a time. And you know, I went on to rent an apartment 
to another guy coming out of Columbia University with an undergraduate degree. Wow. And he was selling excess ad space on, uh, on websites. And this is way before Google. Uh, and it was even before another company called DoubleClick. And, the, uh, and DoubleClick was actually sold to Google. But at any rate, this gentleman was selling excess ad space on websites at the sort of dawn of the internet. This is probably had to be 96, 97, somewhere in there. And uh, he went on to uh, start a company, which is the greatest success uh, to come out of Silicon Alley, uh, which is, of course, New York's equivalent to Silicon Valley, and took the company public. And he's now a billionaire. He's going on to do $70 million in transactions. And I rented him an apartment for $1,300. I know, so right? you, you just got to keep in touch with these people because you never know who's going to do what, when, and who's going to put you in touch with the next person. Right. 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 I had, I got it. I got an uh, email inquiry from somebody uh, a few years ago and didn't know who they were. They contacted me through Douglas elements sort or of the, the find your agent tool. So it wasn't through a specific property and she provided her phone number. It was a name that I had never heard of an email that didn't ring a bell. So I called her up uh, eight 15 one morning and it was uh, pretty clear that I'd woken her up. And the, the, the area code I didn't recognize, but I kind of just assumed in my mind's eye that she was in New York. I just made my mind up that she was in New York. And so I called her up and I said, hi, it's Josh Rubin. And she said, uh, 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 oh, hi. And, and so she had sent me the inquiry late the prior night. And so I introduced myself and she told me who she was and she was looking for a, uh, a rental. And not, not only a rental, but a furnished rental that she and her two dogs could live in for the summer. And so I said, okay, well, we can do our best to help you find that. And we did. But in the process, we also discovered that what she had really been looking for was a townhouse in the city with a yard that her dogs could run around in that she wanted to purchase. Mm -hmm. And because one of the agents on my team was new, he had the time to look through all those you know, the junk mail that comes in from the brokerage community that I don't have the time to, to look at. And he discovered that there was one townhouse that another agent was selling, which the seller said, sell it this weekend. We'll accept an offer that is, you know, between X and Y, you know, 20 or 30% below the asking price, but we must sell it this weekend. So we told this client this, she flew in on her private jet from down South and uh, we sold her a townhouse that weekend for about $9 million. Wow. You just know, you just never know who these people are that you're talking to on the other end of the line. You know, I always like sharing my story of my first sale, Josh, because um, I was, you know, with my, my first weekend on the job and I, I'm, I'm in the office and this gal named Josephine Landis comes in and she was getting a divorce. She was from Brentwood. And my dad goes, you know, here, 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 take care of this client. And she was looking for a rental. Right. So I'm showing her all these rentals and, and, and this dates so far back, I got a multiple book and, I'm, and I, I don't even know what's for lease, sale or anything. And this is my first day on the job practice and I'm like fingering, just kind of like rifling through the pages. And I go, here's a rental, let's go look at it. So we went and look at some rentals and she comes back and she says, gosh, there's nothing here I want. She says, here, take my name and number. If you find anything, let me know. And so she's going out the door and the door is about this far from being completely closed. And I go, wait. And she opens it, puts her head back in and I said, have you ever thought of buying anything? I don't know where that came from, Josh, but it must have <laughs> something to do with my sales instincts, right? And, I, and, and she says, well, is there anything for sale? 
<laughs> what a question to ask, right? And I, yeah. and I said, well, yeah, here's a couple. So we went out and we looked at three properties and she bought one. Unbelievable. And, uh, I know, right? But see, that's maybe that's just where you have to ask that next question. You know, we talk a lot about that, you know, in the business, you know, asking questions. You know what I mean? She could have just walked out the door. I mean, I could have just said, goodbye, nice meeting you. But I just, something just came out of me that said, have you ever thought of buying something? And that was it. And, 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 and I think that's what you're good at. And you know what I mean? Like a 1300 lease turns into a, a myriad of deals, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yesterday, Peter, I was, uh, I was calling around to, to estates, you know, I was calling executors. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, frankly, a number of them had, had, uh, you know, decided to hold on to the property for one reason or another, or some of them had already listed it. Some of them had already sold. So, you know, there was a lot of, <clears throat> there was a lot of things that weren't going my way in the course of making these calls, but I had dedicated, you know, a certain number of hours to call through this list. And I was calling through this list. And as I called through the list, you know, some people were literally cursing me out and other people were very nice and other people were, you know, somewhere in between. Well, this woman said, you know, I have to tell you that I'm going to be carried out of my apartment <laughs> because I am a city mouse and I'm going to be taken out of here in a pine box. And by the way, this was an executrix of her husband's estate who had just died about yeah. six or nine months ago. Yeah. So, so she, you know, so that this idea that she was going to be carried out of the pine box, you know, et cetera, she said, I love my house, but you know, I've been, I, I have a house in Bedford, which is a, you know, it's a very sort of Tony area uh, in Westchester with large properties that are, you know, probably anywhere between one and, you know, $7 million, depending on the size of the lot, depending on the size of the house. Well, it turns out that she loves her apartment in the city so much that she has no intention of going back to this house in Bedford. So what is she going to do? She's going to sell the house in Bedford. So right before you and I got on this call this morning, I just made the connection and I referred her up to uh, an agent in Bedford. Bedford. And you, know, you never know what's going to come out of just speaking to people. Never, 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 never. And see, that's why there's opportunity everywhere. And that's why we live in this world of abundance. And you know, it's so much mindset, Josh. I don't know how you, you know, uh, keep your mind in the right place all the time, but you know, it's a battle for all of us. And you know, it's easy to get negative. I mean, I, I, I actually think because you know we're designed to self-preserve, you know, we're self-preservationists that that we we go into fear and we go into negative thinking to kind of protect ourselves, you know. And yet, that can be a huge, huge detriment to our success. And so every day you've got to kind of like put on your armor so you can get out there with the right attitude and the right thing so that you'll do the positive things and you'll have an open mind opportunity because otherwise you're going to get closed down. You're going to think it's a zero sum game. You're going to think that, you know, there's three apples and there's 10 realtors grabbing for those three apples. And if that's your, if your attitude, you're going to really like suffer in this business, you know, but if you believe yeah. that every time you reach into the barrel, there's an apple, you're going to, you're going to find apples because your mind is going to be open, open to seeing them. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about mindset. It's it's this. It's almost like a charade that we play with ourselves in order to talk ourselves into doing things. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to call people because they don't want right. to hear from me. That's but right. if you call people because you know there are opportunities out there and you need to help people, well, next thing you know, you're going to find the opportunities. It's it's incredible how that just switches. And I was telling Tom Ferry about a week or so ago that it's amazing how. Good things happen to me when I make these calls. And you might not want to make these calls because your inner voice is telling you, oh, you know, don't, don't call these people. Or you're going to be cursed out. They don't want to hear from you. But all you need is one or two to make it worth it. And the next thing you know, 
you know, good things start to happen. You start to get more inbound leads when you're making more outbound calls. And the inbound leads aren't happening as a direct correlation to the outbound calls. They just magically happen. You know, it's so funny when I when I when I coach agents or talk to agents and you know, and I'm trying to, you know, talk about mindset with them, you know, because mindset truly is 99% of this business. I'm just gonna tell you guys right now. And and they say, no, Peter, you know, I don't want to hear about mindset. I want to hear four tactical things I can do right now to be successful. And I go, why? You're not going to do them without the right mindset. I said, I can tell you exactly what to do in this business, but you will not do it. You're not going to do it. And they go, well, why do you think I'm going to do it? Because you don't have mindset. You don't, you don't like mindset. You don't want to talk about mindset. You don't want to think mindset. You don't want to put yourself in a state like Tony Robbins says, where you'll actually do the things I'm going to tell you. So why should I waste my time even telling you what to do? Because you're not going to do it anyways. You're going to debate me on it. You're going to analyze whether it works. You're going to struggle with, you know, picking up the phone and making those calls and doing that thing. Because, and why is that? Because you don't have the right mindset. So for all of you that don't think mindset is important, you've got to like take another look at that. Absolutely. So what would you tell an agent today who is clearly in a little bit of a rut, whether it's because of the pandemic or something that's happened to them personally or a setback in a deal that didn't work out and they need to get their head right, what would you suggest to them? Well, you know what? I I mean, I, I'm not a total jerk. I mean, I do know that we all go down and I, and I do know that we have moments of, of darkness. I mean, I mean, I do, we all do. And in those moments, and, and Josh, this is, this is like something you kind of alluded to, um, you almost have to, you know, you have to work your way through them. And, and, and working your way through them means getting into action. You know, I really believe that you can act your way into the right thinking, but it's difficult to think your way into the right acting, which sounds a little contradictory what I just said. But, he, but if you- Can you just repeat you, that? Can you repeat that for us? I'm sorry. You can act your way into right thinking, but it's very difficult to think your way into right acting. You know what I mean? Because action is motion and emotion is comes from the word motion. And so, so this is a very critical, critical piece. But all that being said, I really believe I, I'm a real big guy on discipline. You know what I mean? And, and discipline to me is freedom. And I think Jocko Wilco st stole that from me. And I stole it from my brother. So I know that it goes way, way back before Jocko was even born. So so um, uh, the truth of the matter is discipline is freedom. And, and what I mean by that is it's freedom from everything you don't want in life. You know, like if you want to be in shape, work out. If you want to be smart, read. If you want to be successful in the business, pick up the phone. So it's like there's these disciplines, but one discipline that, you know, you hear a lot about is, is a morning routine. And um, I, 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 I get it. Maybe your morning routine will be in the evening or maybe your morning routine will be midday, you know, depending on, you know, your lifestyle and your schedule, but you need a morning routine. And the morning routine is really where, you know, you prepare yourself for the day, you know, whether you're, you're spiritual or you're into affirmations or you just want to read some good, good motivating uh, books or listen to a podcast, you know, but a lot of that and working out and stuff like that, you got it. You've got to like fight the cynicism. You have to fight the negativity that this world wants you to buy into. And, and, and it's so key and critical. And it's even in the news every day. I mean, like you hear people all the time say, I'm not watching the news anymore because I can't deal with it. Yeah. Trust me, you will know about everything that's important. You don't have to watch the news to know what's going on. I mean, we, yeah. we will hear. So if you want to immerse yourself in the negativity, great. But I think it's very difficult to, to operate from that position. I would really recommend that you create some sort of a routine. Mine, mine involves meditation, prayer, spiritual readings, exercise, and a great breakfast every single day. That is how I get going. And it really huh. helps me. And are, do you surf every day? I mean, what, what type of exercise do you do? 
I would love to surf every day, but unfortunately, weather doesn't always uh, permit. So, you know, like waves, wind, all these different, you know, uh, things. And also surfing is, you know, it, it, it's kind of a two hour deal. So like what I do for fitness is CrossFit, um, you know, which you can get a great workout. And I, and I, and I really think that for me personally, you know, it's going to keep me young and, and going, you know, in, in, into my life. Um, so that's something I, I, I really do. I also like to run and swim and surf. Um, you know what I mean? And, and you know what I just did for fun? Um, I really believe in hobbies now. And I just started playing the guitar. You know, I, I bought a guitar. I sold a house in San Juan Canyon. It was like a really beautiful house on, uh, uh, it, and, I, and I sold this house and they had a garage sale. And in the garage sale, they had this old Fender Telecaster. And I bought this thing like in 1985. And I've always loved guitar players. I mean, whether it was blues or rock and roll or Keith Richards or BB King or Eric Clapton, I just love these guys, right? And I always like I'm, I, I'm the guy that plays air guitar, you know, when, when they go into their lead, <laughs> their lead solos, right? And so I buy this guitar in '85, and it's been sitting in my garage for 30 years. And wow. just and just a year ago, I started taking lessons, and I brought it out, and I started playing guitar. And you know, I am having a blast. And why I waited so long to do this, I'll never know. But it is really, really fun. And I hope one day to play in our local restaurant or bar and I can just like get a little trio and just play and just have some fun because it, it is really a kick. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool that you play guitar. I mean, it's it, it takes a lot of discipline to play an instrument. And I think it, it the discipline that it takes to play an instrument is just one notch up to play a string instrument. It's because right. there's all the fingering and, you know, you got to have a lot of coordination between the two hands uh, and because there's a sort of rhythm thing with the one hand and then there's the fingering so with the other hand. and woo, Reading music, learning music, you know, like like my poor fingers, like they're throbbing, you know, from the strings because they hurt so much. And, you know, I was yeah. like, it is, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's good though, right? Because it'll keep us young. It'll keep us, you know, our minds alert and, and, and quick and, and our dexterity up and just all that stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, here's the thing, Josh, you know, if I could just, this is what I desire of myself. If I could just improve every day, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and intuitionally, I think, I think that was Mark Devine that gave us those five categories. Um, you know, uh, seal fit. Uh, if you guys haven't um, read or seen anything of him, we actually had him at, at Aspen, you know, at the, uh, at our altitude event. This guy is, this guy's amazing, right? He, um, and, you know, if we're constantly working and developing on ourselves in all these areas of our lives, you know what I mean? I mean, how can, I mean, you're going to have a great life. That's the bottom line. And so yeah. I just like to, that's what I like to do is just push myself. Yeah. Well, it's what, it's what Tom tells us all to do, right? You know, t take your meds, your uh, meditation, exercise, uh, diet and sleep, you know, just making sure that those core basics are met. And then of course, if we take, uh, your suggestion and advice uh, one step further. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, prayer, you know, eat right, um, you know, all that good stuff and, and really being disciplined with our morning routine. I think that's going to be critical to anyone who's really seeking success. And then you'll start to sort of turn a corner. And, you know, I started to work with a personal trainer who was actually a client of mine first. And I had been toying with the idea of working with a personal trainer, but I had never actually done it. And then Jonathan came into my life and I was doing pretty well. And I was, uh, I had a small, almost like a SEAL team of three or four people. And he said, once you adopt 
exercise and a regular routine of exercising that's going to take your life up a notch. And I said, ah, you know, you know, he's a nice guy. Uh, but I think he's just selling me on, on using his services. That's honestly what I kind of thought in the back of my mind. And so ultimately I said, well, let me give it a shot. What do I have to lose? And, and I wound up working out with him and I went from, you know, GCI at one level to my GCI multiplying by five X. Uh, and you know, I hate to say he's right, but there's not really anything else that, that I have to attribute it to other than my regular routine of, of exercise. And, you know, that's improved my mindset. It's improved my relationship with my wife. It's improved my relationship with my clients. Uh, it's improved my relationship with, with my colleagues. And of course, you know, I, I continued to build the team and now, you know, we're, we're the top team at Douglas Elliman. So, you know, we've done pretty well. That's true, man. That's so exciting too. And, you know, I think we're both Tom Ferry fans. And the thing I love about Tom is, you know, as a, as, as, as a coach and a leader and an inspiring human being is that he walks the talk, right? He, he literally does what he says. And, I, and that's, I, it's so admirable. And then there's, I read an article in Fortune Magazine right at the time and they were interviewing uh, Tony Robbins. And I know Tom is a big fan of Tony and I think we all are. I mean, Tony is probably the biggest student of human performance on the planet and has probably put more time and effort into understanding human performance than, than anybody else. And he, and he made a comment that he like coaches like, you know, these CEOs, like, you know, the head of Zillow and the head of, you know, all not Zillow, but uh, Facebook and, and um, Google and, you know, and, and different people. And he coaches these people and they get like three sessions for up from him or something like that, or four sessions, I think one a quarter a year. And he charges them over a million dollars to have those sessions. Wow. Right wow. And, and he said that, and he said in this article that, um, uh, you can look it up actually in the fortune magazine. I'm, I may have a few of the numbers wrong, but he said that, you know, when he's coaching these guys, that his first topic he talks about is their, their, their physical health and well being. And he says, if they're not willing to tackle that and get that under control, then he doesn't have much hope in the rest of it. And he sometimes oh. won't even coach with them going forward. And if you think, I'm sorry about my phone there. If you think about, okay. if you think about um, the fact that, hold oh, no, on, let me just let that go. I think she'll pick it up. <laughs> Sounds like my house. I have the same. Uh, yeah. If you think about, if you think about, um, you know, like we, there's a lot of things we can't control, right? Like I can't control my wrinkles. I can't control graying hair. You know what I mean? But I can control what I put in my mouth and I can control movement. Right. So there are things, the things that we're with are within our control. We should control and, and do our best at. And, and Tony, you know, really pushes on that. And then I read this book recently and I love this book. It's a really short little book. It's by Admiral McRaven. Have you, have you read it? Make my, make your bed. It's a, it's I, a, I, I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. I will be sure to get it today. It's, it's a short little read. And I just read it like a couple of weeks ago. My wife just grabbed it and read it and she loved it. It's, I think his name is William McRaven. He's a, he was a huge Navy SEAL uh, admiral. Yep. Yep. And anyway, um, in the book, I mean, it, it talks about, you know, making your bed. Is, I mean, that's the first chapter. And then it gets into some really great, great subjects. And it'd be good for anybody that runs a team or a company. This book is just great advice. And he says that, that when you make your bed in the morning, he said, you know, that, that you make it perfectly you know, that you can bounce a dime off it and you do it every day perfectly. And you, and you actually get into the enjoyment of doing it. And he says that actually sets up your day because now you start bringing that excellence into everything you do. And yeah. it, it's something so simple, you know, 
to be so potent and powerful, you know? And, and so I, so Carrie, my wife used to make the bed every day. I said, no, you're not doing it anymore. And so now every day I'm making the bed, right? And, uh, you know, I'm like smoothing out the blankets and tucking it in right, positioning sure. the pillows perfectly and all that. Yep. And, yep. It, and it really made a difference. Wow. That's, uh, that's incredible, Peter. So, you know, between making your bed, uh, setting your goals, eating right, these are all the things that can set us up for success, whether you're in real estate or just in life. Uh, so I really appreciate that, Peter. Do you have any, do you have any hidden talents? Probably not. <laughs> okay. You're an open book, right? Yeah, pretty open. Let me think. Um, no, I don't, I, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't see myself as particularly talented or anything. I just, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I guess, I guess, I guess my one, my, my one talent that, that maybe isn't hidden is, is that I, I really try to bring positivity to everything and optimism. And I try to encourage people, you know, I think, I think, I think, I think if I have a value is I'm an encourager. And um, I think that keeps me encouraged by doing that. And so uh, maybe that's my uh, not hidden talent, but maybe something that I, that I take pride in. Nice. Yeah. So your, your optimism and, you know, just your, just your ability to kind of see beyond, you know, whatever the situation is and sort of rise above it. Ah, able to sort of that reminds me, I had a coach, Steve Schultz, uh, and he was a, uh, a, a good friend of mine. And Steve said to me, and I'll never forget it. Um, he said, Peter, he said, the thing that you do best, and I'm going to remind you of this is you have the ability to take the most complicated things and make them simple. And I, and, you know, and like, you know, there's that famous saying, keep it simple, stupid. You know what I mean? So yeah. rather than complicating things, I like to distill things down into their most simple form so that you can actually execute and achieve them. And so maybe that's one thing I, I can do. Huh. You know, I, I love that, Peter. And, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of the four disciplines of execution where you mm -hmm. just distill things down to their simplest form in order to find what really drives success mm -hmm. and then focusing on those four things. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you just kind of, you elevate from that point forward. It, it really can serve as rocket fuel for us. That's right. So Absolutely. Peter Hernandez is the president of California for Douglas Elliman. Peter, thanks so much for joining us today on the Ruben special. It, it has been so fun. I could talk to you for another hour. You're a great guy, Josh. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Peter. And we'll see you real soon. Okay. You got it. Have a great day.